Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Welcome to Political Rewind. So glad to have all of you with us again for our show today. Uh, Just a quick note as we get started. uh, Once again, like so many of you out there, we are living under unprecedented circumstances. Many of you are working out of your homes rather than going into offices or retail stores, whatever. Uh, We're in the same situation. Uh, The GPB building has essentially been shut down to all but essential personnel. That means uh, people like Tom Faust and uh, Sam Burmes-Dawes, our producers, are in the building. But I have been asked to work out of my house, so I am sitting in my little remote studio in my house in Greater Decatur doing the show from here. And uh, because the building is closed down, uh, the people who are panelists on the show this week are joining us by phone. So the sound quality isn't quite what you're used to, but we went through this yesterday, and and it seemed to work pretty well. So uh, with all that in mind, uh, let's get started today. We have a very special guest who I'm thrilled to have uh, joining us, Dr. Kathleen Toomey, who is the commissioner of the Georgia Department of Public Health, a member of the Homeland Security Board. Uh, She previously held a similar position Uh, with uh, Fulton County. She's an epidemiologist, a board-certified family practitioner. She's been in public health for many years, including working with the Centers for Disease Control in national and international positions. And uh, Kathleen Toomey, we're so glad you could join us. Now, we've I've been singing your praises for the last couple weeks and saying that we're very happy that uh, we have you in in that position. But, But I do want to inject a personal note here. Many years ago, you and I were classmates in Leadership Atlanta and got to know each other back then. So I'm going to call you Kathleen, and of course, you'll call me Bill as we go forward, right? That's a deal. All right. Okay. Uh, by the way, joining us for the, for the discussion is a senior reporter uh, for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Tamar Hallerman, a little later, uh, State Representative Darshan Kendrick, and uh, Project Q editor Patrick Saunders will be joining the show uh, to uh, talk about other issues in the news today. All right, let's get started. Tamara and I have some questions we want to ask you about, Kathleen, but why don't you start by giving us an overview of how, since this uh, uh, first came to your attention, the coronavirus virus came to your attention, how it's evolved in terms of spread across the state, in terms of the work you're doing with other public health officials and political leaders to deal with this right now. Go ahead and do that. Well, just very quickly, in one minute to summarize about two and a half months of work, you know, when we first became aware of the virus in China, we began to to take action to identify individuals who might be at risk as they were coming in. We worked with our federal partners to identify travelers, uh, particularly coming from China, various parts of China, high-risk areas and and other parts of China to uh, set up quarantine and uh, monitor them in their homes if possible uh, to ensure that there wasn't local spread. As as the 
virus continued to spread throughout the globe, and this is a pandemic now, we began to see travelers from other parts of, of the world coming in, Georgia residents from uh, who have traveled uh, on business or pleasure from Italy, from South Korea. Um, and these Georgia residents also um, were infected. So we were seeing primarily travel-related cases. Uh, and when you first contacted me, and I was thrilled because we go back uh, so far, um, we were in a very different stage of the outbreak. We were beginning to see small pockets of local spread without travel history, local, uh, local transmission in communities. At the same time, we were seeing uh, cases that were related to travel. You know, and and I would my message at that time several weeks ago was going to be you know this is what we're seeing you know what, this is what we're doing we're we're monitoring cases very closely tracking cases our epidemiology teams both here in the states are are reaching out identifying these individuals with infection and all their contacts so whether it be family members or individuals in the community. And, and ensuring that they are in appropriate quarantine or isolation, as the case may be, whether they're uh, exposed or whether they're, they actually are confirmed as having an infection. Our testing capacity at the time was relatively limited, in part because of um, lack of supplies from um, the Centers for Disease Control, which was uh, a situation all states have faced. Uh, but we would have had a very different message. Now, just several weeks later, you know, we have now sustained transmission in several communities uh, across the state, not just in one or two. It's certainly not statewide, but it's at, it has moved from our capacity to monitor every single individual who we know to be infected and do aggressive contact tracing on every single individual to more uh, social distancing and community mitigation efforts to try to stop the spread of this virus. And the goal here- Do you have- Oh, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead, you finish, please. (laughs) No, I I wanted to say the the goal here is we we won't be able to prevent every case, but if we can slow the spread, we can uh, ensure that we don't overwhelm our hospitals. And that, that is the goal here. And I, I was so pleased to see you know, the, the steps that we are taking here in Georgia to, uh, to try to ensure social distancing, to encourage businesses to support these efforts. We have to work together as a, as, as a Georgia community to stop this virus. Because this is this is going so I, to go ahead. I, I'm gonna. I apologize again, and I want to listen again. Tell our listeners that because we're by phone and can't see each other, I, I'm sorry to say I'm. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but but I, it's hard not to to know when to uh, talk next. Um, one quick question, and I want to give Tamara a chance. Do we have a report as of say the last day of how many? cases we have in the state of Georgia, active COVID-19 cases, and how many presumptive cases we're dealing with? Is that number available to you at this point? We have the, we have more, we will have more than 150. Uh, The the report comes out at noon 
when everything is updated, but looking now just uh, at, at cases that have come in just overnight and our epidemiologists are, are putting those into the system, we will end up with uh, more than 150 cases. And remember, it was just single digits um, not that long ago. Can I just make one, uh, have one metaphor for you to think about? When you think about the spread of this virus, it isn't like flu. It, it is transmitted like flu, but it spreads much faster and much more easily. And one epidemiologist colleague of mine at CDC said to me, don't think about this like your, your casual flu um, cases every day, because COVID-19, it has to be measured in dog years. One week of COVID uh, is like 10 weeks of uh, another virus because it spreads so quickly. And I think that's why we have to take such what seem to be such aggressive and unusual measures to try to stop the spread. Dr. Toomey, uh, this tomorrow? is from the Hi. Um, thanks for, for taking the time to talk with us. Um, I wanted to ask you about a, some news we saw breaking overnight um, and that we're seeing the first cases of an outbreak at a Georgia senior care facility at an assisted living community in Canton, where three elderly residents and a staff worker um, has been infected. And, uh, you know, for, seeing from all the reporting, the elderly, they're the most vulnerable here. What is the DPH doing to, to monitor that situation? And what are you making sure to, or what are you doing to ensure that this won't happen elsewhere? Well, that, that is one example where we still maintain a very aggressive posture towards cases. We know that, um, that any kind of nursing home or long-term care facility or, or even housing for elderly residents is, a, is an area of high risk for, for transmission because of their, their vulnerability due to age and other health conditions. We will very aggressively follow up on those cases, identify contacts, everyone who works in that facility, you know, whether they're housekeepers or uh, healthcare workers, you know, we will be testing and uh, monitoring contacts and ensuring that we tr stop that the spread of that virus as quickly as possible. And we have had other situations where we had cases of, of pneumonia that proved not to be uh, COVID-19 uh, throughout the state. But, you know, this, and we did the same thing until we were able to confirm. But this is the one example where we actually do that ag aggressive contact tracing and very quickly because you have to stop the spread in this, in this very high-risk, vulnerable environment. Um, I, I want to ask you, I find some of the information, and by the way, I'm not talking about coming out of your office, but just the general information that we're getting uh, across the country, a little bit confusing right now. So by that, let, let me ha ask you to help us understand this better. Um, I just got a message, as I imagine many, many people in the state did, from my general practitioner's office uh, at, at, at Piedmont Hospital, uh, that they don't want people who are sick coming in to uh, be checked over because they can't tell whether you've got COVID-19. They can't test you uh, for it at their facility. I think many people don't know at what point it's essential for them to be tested. Uh, there seems to be information that suggests that if you're kind of mildly sick, whether you know you've got COVID-19 or not, you shouldn't 
worry about being tested. So that's one aspect of my question. How do, how do we know what the guidelines are for when we need to be tested or not? And, and second of all, where do you stand on tests? We know there's been a real problem in getting test kits out in many states across the country. Are you still, let me start with that, are you still short of the test kits that you really need? And then how do we deal with it if we feel mildly sick? Right. These are all important questions. And, and to be honest with you, the answers are changing daily. Uh, we, we were, in, in fact, the public health laboratory, the only game in town for testing for a while, and we have increased our capacity considerably there uh, with the help of CDC, and we'll be able to do up to 200 um, tests a day. But that's certainly not sufficient. And what we are actually doing, w- working in partnership with with GEMA, FEMA, as well as our health districts, is set, are setting up additional test facilities across the state. Uh, several of them uh, set up uh, uh, yesterday. There's more today uh, coming in Cobb and other other counties. We're going to have some standing up in the Rome, Cartersville area, another hard hit area in the next uh, day or two. But I think the message from your providers are an important one. 80% of cases of COVID-19 are, have very mild symptoms and for the most part can be managed, certainly managed at home, and can be managed without a test at a time when testing has, is, is not widely available. It'd be nice to be able to test everyone with any symptom. We'd have a better idea what the spread of, of this virus is. But with limited testing, we want to focus on some highest-risk people, individuals who are healthcare workers. We want to focus on uh, first responders like EMS and police and fire. We want to focus on those uh, elderly uh, individuals, whether in nursing homes or not, with symptoms. Uh, They are more at risk of developing uh, COVID-19. So we are working closely with providers to help them uh, do some testing because the danger of of every provider doing tests or people walking into the emergency room is that you're going to contaminate potentially the emergency room and everybody in there. And we want to avoid that at all possible. If if I could get one message out, please don't go to an emergency room for testing. You know, let us work, work work with your provider, work with us, let us help to find you a place if it's even necessary. Dr. Toomey, you mentioned this, yeah, Dr. Toomey, you mentioned that that you're hoping to get up to 200 tests per day soon. Uh, but can you talk about when specifically you're hoping to have that capacity, and where is the state getting the staff for all of this additional testing, and where exactly, what parts of the state will will have those tests available? Well, the tests that the public health laboratory is doing is supporting the entire state. Uh, so it's everything from uh, our our public health districts, as well as correctional facilities or other other uh, entities, as well as as private physicians. We have staff on board, but they aren't sufficient for this ramp up. Uh, we were able to move some equipment that we had uh, in our South Georgia lab and, and redeploy it for this purpose. And our staff are working you know, 12 and 14 hour days to do two runs. This particular test uh, requires about six hours for one run. And so 
two runs would be 12 hours. And so we're doing two runs a day, uh, seven days a week. Emory has just been approved to get a rapid test that just was uh, approved by FDA, I believe, just in the last several days. And I just got word last night that their approval came through. They'll be able to help us potentially with doing additional tests as well. We have some commercial laboratories that have begun uh, providing tests. Those are available to private providers as well as our public health districts. So many of our health districts who are setting up drive-through testing, and as I said, some of these began as recently as yesterday and today, uh, they, they will be using the LabCorp uh, test kits and sending them to LabCorp so, for response. So, 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 so things are ramping up. Tamara, do you want to follow up on that real quick? Yeah, but it seems also that, that testing is still kind of limited. And I'm wondering, are we missing vital data to help us know where the virus is and how to respond? And when do you think we'll have a truly accurate read on the scope of, of infections in Georgia? I think that that's true for every state. It's not just a Georgia issue. I think it's for the United States as a whole. There has been limited testing. Uh, and as we have acquired more testing capacity, you know, our, 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 our cases have increased. Obviously, we, the more you test, the more you find. And what that's indicating to me is this virus was here probably for a while, and we just didn't recognize it. And now that we have the testing capacity, uh, we are identifying more and more places across the state, you know, with COVID-19. However, in, until okay, okay. we have widespread availability of t- to test everybody with even mild symptoms, which we don't, we have to emphasize that we have to focus on those most vulnerable and those who are serving the public in, in an important way during this, uh, during this important time, healthcare workers, first responders, EMS, and, and the vulnerable uh, elderly and those with chronic health conditions. Nursing homes have uh, to take Kathleen, priority. I know. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm, I, uh, you, Kath- uh, no, no, you're fine. You're doing this. great. I, <laughs> <laughs> we're good. We are, too. A uh, couple of quick, well, a couple of important questions, I think, uh, and they kind of interrelate. Number one, yesterday, the governor, uh, under his new emergency powers granted by the General Assembly, uh, ordered all state public schools in the state uh, to shut down. The Board of Regents had already decided to shut down universities and go to online teaching for the rest of the semester. But the governor hasn't gone as far as, say, uh, uh, Governor Cuomo in New York, who has ordered uh, shutting down of restaurants, bars, other places, a big public that, that, in t- that tend to have big gatherings of the public. And as a result of that, um, I, I'm being told by some of the GPB news people in other parts of the state, I mean, not only is there concern about whether that needs to be done to, to slow the uh, spread of the virus, but there are people who tend to not be taking this as seriously uh, because they don't see their daily life being impacted as much as it might otherwise be. So first, what about uh, the next steps in perhaps calling for a shutdown of restaurants and pubs? And two, what about making sure people do get how serious this is? Well, I think your last point is the most important one. I mean, whether uh, the decision is made by the governor in consultation with his task force and other academic and uh, medical uh, people with whom he's consulting on these decisions, 
whether that is taken is going to depend on people's responsibility and sense of uh, responsibility to not only protect themselves, but to protect the community. And I, and so far we, we've only in, implemented this over the last several days, but if, if he sees that people are not heeding the advice to stay home, I, I suspect further action will be taken. I just can't emphasize enough that this, you know, we have to do this now to to save lives and protect uh, the state, every all states' residents now and in the future. And this this whether it's two weeks, two months, whatever it takes, you know, this commitment is necessary. And, and we have to do that to ensure that the, the spread is not so widespread and so uh, extensive that hospitals get overwhelmed. Then we will not be able to... Kathleen, how, how, realist- how realistically is the task force considering asking the governor to order that restaurants and pubs, or to recommend that restaurants and pubs, however you want to frame it, should now shut down... Uh, uh, soon is that on the table and being seriously discussed right now we haven't discussed it today but everything is being discussed on a hour to hour minute by minute basis i mean this is a ongoing process and i'm just really relying on people to do the right thing the people of georgia have to do the right thing i i wanted to share with you something not many people know my grandfather died during the 1918-1919 uh, the flu p- pandemic. This is very personal to me. I never dreamt that I would be living through a, a, a pandemic. I'm in a position now where I can actually have the outcomes of this pandemic be different than what happened to my family. But that's going to depend on everyone working together and having that commitment to themselves as well as their communities to protect others. That's a very powerful story. Tamar, one last question. Yeah, Dr. Toomey, yesterday President Trump told governors that states should work on getting their own respirators and ventilators and not wait for the federal government to provide them. And I'm curious what Georgia's situation is at the moment. Are we seeking out additional respirators and and ventilators and where are we hoping to obtain them? Yes, and, and not only are we looking to obtain uh, that kind of medical equipment, also personal protective equipment. And, and I have a call after this, uh, after this call today to have just that discussion because we are seeing, and particularly in some of the highest, hardest hit communities where we have a shortage of equipment. And so that's precisely what the governor's task force is designed to do is try to identify those. Uh, GEMA is on top of this trying to... Uh, mobilize resources from not just from the federal government, from private resources as well to ensure we have adequate supply of all these critical supplies at this time of crisis in our state. Does it feel like we're starting to compete with other states, though, for those limited resources? And and do you feel like you're kind of running out of options for those equipment? I don't feel that yet, but I do feel like sometimes people don't take this as seriously as I do. And it is really important that people continue to practice social distancing, continue to wash their hands, don't go out when they're sick, 
and and think about the short-term inconvenience is going to have long-term consequences for everyone in the state. Well, Dr. Toomey, um, I know how incredibly busy you are right now, and so the fact that you would uh, take this time to uh, spend with us and to give information to our listeners across the state is uh, wonderful. I'm very grateful to you. And uh, please, also, thank you for sharing that story about your grandfather. It was powerful to me, and, um, and I appreciate your work and, again, your being with us on Political Rewind today. Thank you so much, Kathleen. Oh, thank you for helping us get the accurate information out and, and helping us to ensure the community has the right information and can help engage in this fight against the virus. Well, you've got our numbers. You can come back anytime you want to talk more. Hey, uh, great. Great to talk to you again. All right. Nice to meet you You too, Kathleen. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's do this, uh, everybody. We're going to take a quick break and uh, uh, reset uh, the the, uh, audio board for our new panelists. Uh, And when we uh, come back, we will continue our conversation about the coronavirus and go into uh, the politics of the day. You're listening to Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. We're back on Political Rewind and appreciate all of you being here. Just again, a very, very quick note, uh, because uh, we are dealing with the same circumstances that so many of you are, which means our building is shut down. Uh, I'm doing the show on a remote location, my house in Greater Decatur, and all of our panelists are calling in by telephone. Uh, Tamar Hallerman, AJC senior reporter, you heard her talking with uh, uh, Kathleen Toomey a little while ago. And now we're joined, uh, I'm glad to say, by State Representative uh, 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 Darshan Kendrick. Uh, Darshan, let me tell you, I'm, I'm interested in where everybody's coming from these days since we're all kind of stuck at home. Are you at your house somewhere? Do I have you there, Darshan? Oh, yes. Sorry, you were going in and out. Um, yes, I am. I am at home. <laughs> okay, well, thank you. We're going to talk to you. And we're also joining for the, have, having joined us for the first time and really delighted to do it, uh, Patrick Saunders. Uh, the uh, editor of, of Project Q, which is an online uh, magazine for the LGBTQ, reports on the LGBTQ community. Uh, Patrick, we've been wanting you on for a long time, and I'm glad we finally have you here. Well, thanks for getting me on, Bill. Sure. Um, let me start, uh, if I may, uh, at asking you, Darshan, and then you, Patrick. What did you, Darshan, when you heard Kathleen Toomey? Give me your thoughts, your reactions, how you're feeling about steps that the state needs to take. I'm giving you a kind of a blank check to talk about it in general. Yeah, so uh, I had an opportunity to get on the call with her and other members of the legislature on Sunday. Um, And, of course, things are are rapidly changing. Um, You know, probably to, to, 
the one word I would sum it up would be overwhelming. Um, you know, there's so many moving parts from uh, the sort of physical uh, ramifications of COVID-19 to the financial, to the political. It's just so many things that are that are moving that I'm really relying on, um, you know, the experts to really help um, guide decisions, not only for the state of Georgia, but for me as a, as a legislator about the best course of a- action. Um, so I'm just really, really thankful to have people in our community that are so willing to share the information and tell us what we need to do. Um, so in, in general, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm very, very um, thankful for the community we have. Yeah, well, well, let me ask you another quick question. You all voted yesterday to give the governor um, extraordinary, unprecedented uh, uh, powers uh, in this state of emergency. And one of the first acts he uh, took was to shut down public schools across the state. And um, I've been uh, wondering for a while why all the schools weren't closed. Uh, and I assumed that the governor wanted to have you confirm, all of you in the legislature, that he had the power to do that. Uh, but what do you th- are you now looking to him to take additional actions? I asked Kathleen if there was an, a, a plan by the task force to now look at closing down restaurants, bars, pubs, other public meeting places. How are you? All, how are you personally feeling about whether that's the next step the governor ought to take, Darshan? Yeah. So, um, so yesterday we um, voted to ratify the governor's um, health, public health emergency powers that are defined by statute. He already has the power, so we didn't give him anything extra. We essentially concurred with his decision to um, declare a public health emergency. Um, but I, I read somewhere, and I don't know if this was this morning or last night, uh, that there are uh, local governments who are already taking the steps to shut down the schools. I think ABS is going through the end of March, and I'm, I'm assuming DeKalb and sort of our metro counties are going to follow. So I, I think it probably was uh, was twofold. One, to um, get the legislature in a room to concur with his um public health emergency statement and um, and and also to really uh, make sure that we had all the information and then once that information again was given out to uh, local municipalities and um, and other governments I think you are going to see now that they're going to make that local decision to go ahead and um, and do it even before the the governor sort of mandates it before the governor okay Hey, uh, Patrick, I was on uh, the Project Q website uh, uh, recently, and uh-huh. you had done a lot of reporting on how the coronavirus, our response to it, has made an impact on the LGBTQ community. Um, give me Talk a little bit about that, but also uh, give us your response to what you heard from uh, Dr. Toomey. Sure, and I mean, you know, you look at this demographic, LGBTQ folks, were affected pretty much like anyone else is in this case, as far as this just coronavirus really seeping into every facet of our lives. I talked to business owners, heads of nonprofits, heads of uh, intramural LGBTQ intramural sports leagues. Um, and everyone seems to be like uh, Representative Kendrick said, we're all being inundated with a ton of information and everyone's just sort of trying to take it in and make the best decision from there. Most everyone I talked to yesterday, um, they decided to pretty much postpone, put a hold on things um, in the time being, much like everyone else is. Uh, and as far as you know, what Dr. Toomey, that I mean, just the testing is definitely imperative. I think the 
uh, for a couple factors. Just the fact that the symptoms can go unnoticed, I think, is one uh, major factor. So, you know, there's obviously people walking around with this right now. And, you know, you just hope that testing gets ramped up as quickly as possible. Patrick, I, I, obviously the, uh, the the LGBT community uh, faces the same kind of challenges everybody else does, so I don't mean to single it out, except to this extent. Okay. I We keep hearing about how um, underlying conditions can exacerbate uh, COVID-19. I haven't heard anything about whether HIV is one of those underlying conditions, and and whether what gay or straight, whether people with the HIV with HIV are at, are at slightly elevated risk or or perhaps more elevated risk. Exactly. No, and I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I didn't. I didn't take that a, a wrong way. Just to, just to make that clear uh, in your question. Yeah. So the there was a group of actually um, national LGBTQ medical professional associations, the National LGBTQ Cancer Network. Um, they got together with about 100 other groups uh, across the country, including several in Georgia, including Georgia Equality. Um, there's a counter-narrative project, a couple other groups. And basically just to issue an open letter to ask public health officials and government officials to take into account um, the sort of more vulnerable aspects of um, the LGBTQ community. There's much higher smoking rates. Um, higher cancer rates, and in particular, much, much, much higher uh, HIV rates. So, uh, you know, coronavirus is a respiratory illness. So when you talk about the smoking issue, and then as far as cancer and HIV, you're talking about, you know, people with um, might have compromised immune systems more so than others. So, uh, you know, the governor, and I think his comments on Saturday said that, you know, we need to take care of our vulnerable population, vulnerable populations. And uh, that definitely, you know, referred to the elderly and everything. But, uh, you know, these groups are pointing out, they're saying, you know, you need to count LGBTQ folks in that list of uh, vulnerable populations. Tamara, you uh, give, give me your thoughts about what Dr. Toomey had to say to us about where the state stands right now. Um, we're still kind of wondering how many tests have been administered out there, what the percentage of positive readings has been. Uh, these are questions, I, I'm not sure that she necessarily could give them to us or not, but I know there are an awful lot of people who worry about that. Exactly. And, and she mentioned how, you know, the state was hoping to get about 200 tests in, but but it didn't feel like I, you know, we, we really heard a specific answer on when exactly that was going to happen. And, uh, you know, this is an answer I don't know if anyone knows, um, but just how when we're going to get a truly accurate read of how many people in the state are walking around with this virus. Um, and, and as she mentioned, until everyone is getting tested or until a ton of people are getting tested, we're not going to have that. But she mentioned a lot of private labs like Quest Diagnostics and LabCorp that are starting to do work on behalf of the state. Well, a lot of those private labs are, are kind of days behind where they said they were going to be. So I'm, I'm curious to know um, when we're going to be able to ramp up to the extent that she mentioned, when we're going to start seeing stuff yeah. like drive-by testing and that sort of thing. Uh, Darshan, uh, when Tamar asked Kathleen Toomey uh, about the question of the president on, a call, on his call with governors yesterday advised individual states to pursue things like respirators and ventilators, not to wait for the federal government to act. I know what was underlying that question. A concern that what that means is that rather than the federal government coming up with a plan to distribute these things in some uh, uh, methodical way to states that need them the most, essentially 
doesn't this put each state in competition to get this equipment? And what does that mean uh, when, a, when Dr. Toomey, whoever is involved in this, has to go out on the market and try to fight to get this equipment? What do you, what do you make of that, Darshan? Yeah, well, you know, obviously, um, I think um, there nobody prepared for sort of the magnitude of, of what we're dealing with, either intentionally or unintentionally. And obviously, there are some things uh, that I could say politically about about sort of just in general how this administration is handling that. But I but I but I digress. Um, so you know, the governor. Um, has $100 million that was allocated um, to particularly fight the coronavirus here down in, uh, particularly here in Georgia. I'm not sure if other states have um, taken money from their rainy day emergency fund, but we do have $100 million down here in Georgia, and hopefully that will help mitigate, you know, anything that needs to, to, to be purchased. Um, but but obviously um, the, the lack of testing um, and the lack of, of testing materials and la- lack of supplies, um, all of this adds to why I think people are so concerned of, uh, about, about this virus. So, uh, you know, there are many people who think that this is being, you know, sort of propagated by the media and it's overblown and more people die from the flu. And there's all these facts out here. But when you hear things like you just stated where, uh, it doesn't seem to be enough of everything in order to handle the problem. That's when you start to get what we have now um, is a lot of people very, very scared about their futures and about taking care of their family. So it, so it is concerning. Ms. Kendrick, I'm wondering if you could tell me a little bit about what's going on in your district. You're in Lithonia, if I remember correctly. Um, so what are you hearing from your constituents? And just kind of paint a picture for me of, of the scene where you're at. Yeah, so um, interesting. So I represent East Cap and South Gwinnett, 54,000 people. I stay in Lithonia, but I have unincorporated Stone Mountain, uh, Loganville, unincorporated Snailvilles, and Stonecrest. Um, and I, most of my emails are not even about the sort of I'm scared to get sick portion of it. Um, it is about the financial ramifications. Um, and, and many people know that... Um, uh, in addition to being a securities attorney, I'm also a financial advisor. And so I have been getting emails not about, you know, sort of precautions about staying staying healthy because I think most people in my district um, are wise enough to sort of get what they need to be doing or have already been doing the procedures. But I get, I get emails like, uh, you know, w- what's going to happen to my job or I can take care of this expense, but not the next expense. I mean, on on average, uh, Americans are two, one or two paychecks away from um, poverty, one or two paychecks. And so I think um, for my district, they are more worried about the financial ramifications, and there are going to be some, and they're going to come quick, and they're going to come hard, um, than they are about actually getting sick. So, Patrick, let me ask you, but we have to get to a break in a minute. But before we do, um, you know, I was thinking about you and your work. You, you run an online publication, uh, and so you're fortunately in a position where you can continue that work. The virus isn't going to necessarily interfere with it. But I'm assuming you rely to some extent on advertising to support the work. 
uh, and it's possible that people are pulling back on adversaries. Tell me, give me that perspective on how this is affecting you from a professional point of view particularly. Yeah, and, and, and you're right as far as, you know, being able to do most of the work remotely. Uh, you know, we haven't been affected that much as far as that goes. Uh, and then otherwise, as far as covering events, you know, obviously the state house uh, uh, suspended legis- legislative session and, um, you know, large gatherings. Those aren't just are not happening right now. Outside of that, you know, beyond that, um, you know, we're sort of early in the game as far as these businesses really having a heavy economic effect. Um, I stay on the journalism side, so the whole church and state thing uh, applies here for me. So uh, as far as the sales <laughs> okay. side and, and the economic side, I'm going to leave that to my publishers uh, and owners. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, but no, I mean, it's you know, it's definitely something, you know, we're keeping an eye on and and in constant contact. I know they are with our uh, uh, advertisers and business owners and, okay. and uh, uh, staying, staying under here. Tomorrow, I'm going to give you the last word on this segment. Yeah, I'm just going to be curious to see once we see more about the economic effects, like what Ms. Kendrick was saying, whether the state is going to feel the need to step in to do some sort of stimulus package. We've seen Congress, the House recently passed their version of that. Um, how long it takes before we see any action from the state on that level? All right. Well, we'll watch for that, obviously, moving forward. Let's do this. Let's take our final break of the show. When we come back, let's turn the corner. Let's talk politics. After all, this is Political Rewind. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Representative Ershan Kendrick, Patrick Saunders of Project Q, and Tamar Hallerman of the AJC are with us for our phone-in Political Rewind today. Uh, let, let's talk just for a couple minutes about electoral politics, if we can. Uh, by the way, though, as we do, let me point out to you, Tom Faust sent me a note saying that at, I think, 10.30 this morning, uh, according to... Okay, 11.30 now. It's just been changed. The White House Coronavirus Task Force is going to have a briefing, which we'll carry live on GPB radio. Uh, Another quick note uh, that I meant to mention when uh, Kathleen Toomey was with us, GPB has put together a pretty robust uh, website that deals with stories relating to coronavirus. It's at gpbnews.org slash virus. You can get a lot of information there as we move forward. Okay, those announcements out of the way. Darshan... Uh, Four states initially scheduled to vote for president today. At the very last minute, uh, Mike DeWine of Ohio last night pulled the plug on the Ohio primary and said, we just can't risk sending people to polling places. Poll workers are vulnerable. People standing in lines are vulnerable. But Florida, Arizona, and Illinois are moving forward. I mean, the, the largest question about this is, you're a Democrat, what is the fact that we're, we're now in this period where people may or may not be able to vote? What does this do about the momentum of a Democratic candidate moving forward toward uh, the conventions and, and then to the general election? It strikes me that there are reasons to be a little concerned about that. Yeah, um, well, I, I'm not so concerned about the momentum because I think uh, Democrats had a responsibility to carry the momentum to November, no matter what time the primary was. So that's always been a challenge and, and, and a task, and I don't think that's going to necessarily stop it. I know uh, the Biden campaigns that um, that I have endorsed is reassessing what they're going to do with all these primaries 
um, changing the date. So, so there are plans. Um, it's just going to take them, uh, you know, a little while to figure out what that plan is going to be. So, so the momentum, I, I am, I am very much cognizant of and confident that that we won't lose that. What I'm more concerned about is the uh, voting election process and, and preserving the transparency and integrity of the process. Mm-hmm. So you know that we changed yeah. our primary from March uh, the 24th presidential primary to May 19th, where you know uh, other elected officials, myself included, are going to be on the ballot. And um, and so uh, thanks to the, the to the great work of Senator Nakima Williams, who's the chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia, uh, she was able to secure and make sure that the votes that have already been cast are preserved um, because initially the presidential uh, the, primary vote early voting. Right, right. Right. The presidential primary early voting, because initially the plan was to essentially get rid of all the votes that have um, been cast thus far and make people, you know, essentially vote, um, vote again. Um, and so, you know, every every state's trying to struggle with and find out logistically how you do that, because, I mean, I know I'm, I'm relatively young, but I can't admit I can't um, think of any time in my lifetime where we've had, had to do this. So. Everybody's just trying to figure out what works for their state. Patrick, uh, the Secretary of State's office, of course, did move the primary. They also announced that they were looking for ways in which they could get absentee ballot applications out, particularly to people who are in their 60s and above, so they could vote mm-hmm. by absentee uh, uh, mail. But, uh, but you know, May 19th is not that far off. Yesterday, the president was, the, for the first time, said this thing could go on for months. Uh, how concerning is it that we still have a primary schedule for May 19th and how it might affect turnout uh, and all that? I mean, I think the, the three states voting today are going to be the test cases, really. To, people are going to be looking around at other states that haven't voted yet in their primaries, like Georgia, uh, to see as far as what the turnout was. And then going forward from there, uh, you know, like we talked about, this seems to be just, just changing day to day. Uh, and unfortunately just seems to be growing into a larger problem. Um, but at least people are getting, trying to get their hands on it and take sort of drastic measures to get a handle on it. I think the mailing ballots, I think, you know, it has sort of a two pronged effect. Um, I mean, one is actually, yes, you're keeping vulnerable populations. Uh, out of, uh, you know, public spaces like voting precincts. But then it also decreases the amount of people that are showing up to those polling places because you're keeping those vulnerable populations out. So, you know, it sort of has a two-pronged effect. I mean, I think it is uh, a positive step in case, in fact, that's going to happen. Uh, You know, then as far as going forward to May, you know, it's hard to tell exactly what's going to happen by then. One other factor worth noting, and, and this is this is sort of related to that, is is if these quarantines are, are kind of extended into May, if we start getting to the point where we're at our primary, a lot of poll workers are 60 plus years old. And you're seeing in Ohio, one of the reasons the governor recommended delaying the primary was that he was saying he was having a ton of cancellations, mass cancellations from poll workers. And, and who's going to be able to, to run the polls if, if 60, 65 plus year old people aren't supposed to be outside. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly a, an issue that they're going to have to deal with. Um, I should point out, by the way, Tamar, that I read in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution this morning that, in fact, the Secretary of State's office is considering whether there should be a much broader uh, attempt to send out mail-in absentee ballot applications 
to perhaps the entire registered voter list. I don't know if they can accomplish that. I mean, that's seven point what nine million people. But they are at least tomorrow looking at perhaps expanding this so that more people can vote absentee. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is that, you know, absentee is always you know, going to be an option. I actually had a bill to do exactly what it is that the Secretary of State is ironically considering doing. Um, but, um, y- you know, that we are going to have to um, figure out what's going to work um, best for Georgians to make sure that their, their vote is counted. And so we're, as a legislature at least, are going to make sure that we not only pay attention to the coronavirus, but pay attention to our elections, because it is a, a very, very pivotal year. Okay, well, Darshan and then Patrick, I'd love to get you both to react to this. You know, over the last couple of years, uh, we've had increasing suspicion focused on whether people's votes are being are being suppressed, whether they're being counted accurately once they vote, whether uh, absentee uh, voting has been uh, treated I- improperly. I mean, there's already a lot of concern around the election process, whether it's necessarily warranted or not. Um, and Darshan, of course, Stacey Abrams, uh, Fair Fight Action, has uh, been one of the organizations that's raised concerns about this. So I guess, Darshan, the fact that, as you pointed out, Nakima Williams worked with Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State's office, on plans to move the primary, showed a bipartisanship that, do you hope, Darshan, alleviates some of the concerns about the primary process? Well, I think it um, shows that, you know, going forward that there is hopefully at least a good faith attempt to make sure these May 19th um, elections do end up happening in a very transparent, transparent and, and, and honest way. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things where you trust, but you still verify. So we still need the good work of Fair, Found, Fair Fight and our other partners who are watching the actual elections and, and the process as it, as it happens. But I do think it's a good step in the right direction and, and, and shows that there is a good faith, um, at least attempt to make sure that as many Georgians are able to vote as, uh, as possible. But, um, but there's still a lot of work to be done to make sure that every vote is counted. Yeah, Patrick, I, it, it was heartening in these highly divisive partisan times to see that effort come together, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. This is something, yeah, you don't see that. And I think I had the same reaction you said on the show yesterday, the day before, Bill, seeing the press release come through. And, uh, you know, it said Secretary of State Raffensperger appearing with uh, Senator Nakima Williams. I kind of had to do a double take because uh, it's just not something you see at often these days. But, uh, you know, it, it's good to see that. And, and without a doubt, like Darshan said, I mean, fair count. And these groups are going to be keeping a close eye. One thing that I kind of noticed recently is Secretary of State Raffensperger is really I think taking a more uh, public stance, I think he, I, the uh, TV commercials started popping up the other day um, uh, with him yeah. in them. And so, uh, you know, you, you see him having this sort of forward-facing thing, which I think is that definitely has to be a, a reaction to this, you know, these claims about the, about the vote. All right. Patrick, we are completely out of time. You get the last word on the show today uh, as we come to an end. I do want to point one thing out quickly. Uh, Cody Hall, the governor's press secretary, says that they could not close state schools without an emergency declaration. They got it yesterday, so they immediately uh, did that. That's the final word for this show, actually. We'll be back tomorrow uh, for one more Political Rewind. See you then.